You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll hear from a state senator about her efforts to expand the scope of a police records transparency law she wrote, which made certain disciplinary records accessible to the public. The community that is being served by the police officers needs to trust those police officers. And I just felt like this public access was so important. So I decided, okay, I'll try it. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, I thought I might have to try multiple years before I would be successful. But thank goodness, this discussion has been so ongoing and there were so many other states that have been acting similarly. I think I really benefited from timing. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. If a police officer was found to have used deadly force or inflicted serious injuries on the job, until 2019, disciplinary records about that incident had been kept secret. Same thing for officers who had been proven to have sexually assaulted someone or been dishonest on the job. That changed when SB 1421 went into effect. State Senator Nancy Skinner, who represents Berkeley, wrote that legislation to open up law enforcement disciplinary records. In 2020, she moved to expand the legislation to also grant access to records about officers who engaged in bias or discriminatory behavior or used excessive or unreasonable force. Her first expansion bill was SB 776, which did get bipartisan approval in the Assembly, but couldn't get voted on by the Senate before the session's constitutional deadline. At the end of last year, Skinner reintroduced the expansion, now known as SB 16. We talked about the impacts of the original transparency law and how the senator wants to improve it. So in December of last year, you reintroduced legislation that would have expanded your earlier SB 1421. That law went into effect in 2019 and forced police agencies across the state to release previously protected personnel records. And these are records about police officers who use deadly force or inflicted serious injuries on the job or who have proven by their agency or have been proven by the agency to have committed on-duty sexual assault or dishonesty. And a whole collaboration of news agencies has been working to uncover police misconduct using this law. So it's clearly had an impact. Um, We'll get to the latest on the new legislation in a moment, but can you talk about why you sought to expand this already significant SB 1421? So 1421 is really, as you mentioned, a groundbreaking law, broke a 40-year ban on any public access to police records. So it's a great thing, but it's a very limited access. So the only things that we can learn about an officer's conduct with the existing law are if they pulled a weapon, uh, used deadly force, as you said, or dishonesty in. So it's really limited. And when we look at the role of our police officers in our communities, it is public safety. And of course, public safety requires public trust. And lately we've seen an erosion of public trust. And in some of the areas that you have this erosion is people that feel that perhaps their officers, for example, are biased or discriminatory, or maybe they feel like there's just officers that constantly uh, conduct, say, wrongful arrests or wrongful searches. Well, none of that information would be available. We wouldn't know. We can't know whether there's a police officer in our community 
who has a history or a record of that. And so my new bill allows us to have the ability to know whether there are police officers in our community who have done that sort of thing. Let's talk more about that in a few moments. But I first want to talk about the existing um, impacts of SB 1421. A few lawsuits have come out of news agencies' attempts to use it. And the San Jose Police Department committed at the end of 2020 to release use of force and officer disciplinary records in a timely manner within 30 days. That was part of a legal settlement with the Bay Area News Group. And the department had previously claimed it would take up to four years to fulfill requests for these records. Several other agencies have said it would take a long time to produce records like this. Is there a timeline for compliance baked into SB 1421? And what do you think of those claims that it would take years to get the records? Well, 1421, every law uh, like this, that is a thing where an agency has to release records, basically is reliant on the agency being uh, following goodwill and being willing to follow the law. By and large, most agencies did. But you're absolutely right. We experienced and many news agencies experienced where there were there were some cities, for example, that refused to release at all and others that said, ah, four years. So seeing that we built into SB 16 penalties if an agency fails to release records in a timely manner and the ability for me, the individual who requested the record or or a press entity that requests a record, if that is not met, I can go to court and not only will the pen- penalty be issued, but all of my legal fees would be covered and that sort of thing. So we did build in some ability to make sure that agencies release records. What do you think of that claim of four years? Does that seem reasonable to you? Not reasonable at all, period. Early on, there was a lot of discussion and even legal action about whether or not the law applies to records retroactively. So for the record, was SB 1421 intended to apply to records created before 2019 when it went into effect? I always laugh at this term of retroactive because the bill says records in your possession. (laughs) Records in your possession are records in your possession, regardless of when you created that record. So that's all we needed to say. And we said that. And then they very creatively, some police agencies very creatively said, oh, oh, well, well, you know, this bill only went into effect in this year. So it's only the ones we have from now on. It's like, no, uh, it says records in your possession. And that's what it covers. Records in your possession. Doesn't matter when you created them. So I understand that there were actually agencies that then ended up trying to take these records out of their possession by destroying them before the law went into effect. Um, did you observe that also? And, and what can be done about that? Well, some did. And that is really horrible because additionally, there is a separate statute that required agencies to hold records for at least five years. And the reason that we did not put that only release records that are five years, you know, that have been whatever that you've had for at least five years is because there are some agencies who kept records for longer. Mm. And just because the statutory requirement is to hold records for at least five years, we did not want to limit it only to those that had been held five years. If it, if it, 
if you had the record and it was relevant from years ago, it's relevant today. So of course our bill, we also changed SB 16, where we said, we're now saying that you must hold records indefinitely. So we're lifting this only five year thing so that we can avoid any confusion about records in your possession and you must hold on to records. You wrote last August, I think, that some police departments have obstructed the intent of SB 1421 by charging exorbitant fees or releasing records with such so much content blacked out as to be nearly useless. Can you give some examples of the kinds of fees or unreasonable redactions that you've seen? Well, the fees we had technically under the law, you're only supposed to charge for the cost of duplicating. So that means like putting the record on the copy machine and hit and copy. But we had agencies trying to charge for any out the hours it might have taken for somebody to go and find the record and to read the record and a whole variety of things, which ended up, I forget which agency, it might have been a San Diego one, that tried to charge, you know, in the tens of thousands of dollars for uh, some requested records. Wow. So my what SB 16 specifies is that you can only charge for the literal cost of duplicating, not the labor, not that just the cost of duplicating. One thing that you've written about wanting to amend or, or add to about 1421 is that some officers who commit misconduct quit their force before disciplinary investigations are complete. Um, and that means that the records about them stay secret and they can go looking for jobs with other departments. I think I know the answers to this, but are officers who have behaved badly or even unlawfully frequently able to get new jobs with other departments? So the, the reason we need transparency or sunshine, the ability for the public to have access to records about police agencies is to create public trust. That's its whole purpose. That's the entire purpose, not only of my first law, 1421, but also SB 776. So if we find that in enacting 1421 in that law, that somehow, because we wrote it, that it needed to be records on a completed investigation, that if someone, if an officer is then accused, like today, I'm accused of some kind of misconduct. And then I realize, well, wait a minute, I don't want a paper trail on that. So I quickly quit. As soon as I hear about my accusation, I quit. I walk away. There's no paper trail. Then I can just, there's no transparency. Thus, no public trust gets built. So in realizing that our law could be interpreted that way. We decided in SB 16 to tackle that and to just ensure that if an officer was accused of um, misconduct, that that record would would be carried with them no matter uh, what they did. So a record would be created. And even if they quit their job, um, that the next hiring agency, if it's in California, that that hiring agency would have to request from the previous agency or any law enforcement agency that person that applicant worked for to request a full set of records about that person's conduct so that not only would the record be public but also other agencies would be required to know about the person they're hiring before they hire them 
So up until now, has that happened frequently that hiring agencies don't look at this or are they even able well, to look actually, at a previous? So we don't know. We've heard a few anecdotes that there were a few officers who just left the agency not to have a paper trail. But the um, the issue of whether we've heard from police chiefs that before 1421, there was a circumstance where that chief even was prevented from looking at, from requesting the previous employer, the previous law enforcement employer from getting those records because even a chief didn't have access to them. So we thought that, well, that's absurd. The hiring entity needs to have the full access to all of the personal records around this person. Yeah. And you'd think that police departments wouldn't want to hire someone who's behaved criminally in the past. Uh, how have departments well, and you... Exactly, it's exactly why initially the police chiefs, for example, and city managers were very in favor of 1421. Mm-hmm. Now, in our new law, SB 16, I'm sure the police chiefs are in favor of the portion of it that would allow them to would not only allow them, will allow them to get the record, but also require them to ask. But what they don't like about SB 16 is they don't like that it requires them to do the record release timely and that it puts fines on them if they don't. So we went to, we went in a funny situation where the original bill, the original bill had the rank and file police officers completely opposed and the police chiefs in favor. Now we have the opposite. We have the rank and file officers neutral and the police chief saying, no, we don't like this. <laughs> and what about the unions who tend to be fairly well, the rank vocal? Well, officers are the unions. Uh huh. Yeah. So I'm curious, you've mentioned a couple of times now enforcement and fines. Uh, how has what's what's the enforcement mechanism for SB 1421 been up until now? Uh people have had to go to court and it's not been, there was no clarity in the law that you could get a penalty. There was clarity in the law that you, that the agency has to release the record. But, and fortunately, as you described, there are people that went to court on it and they, and now they've been compelled, the agency's been compelled to release the record, but we just made some clarifications. So SB 16 has some good clarifications, but back to your comment about the police unions, the California's police unions, are neutral on um, this new bill. And I think they have, uh, you know, they've really, I'm very impressed. They've really come around to basically feeling that, you know, public safety does require community trust and some transparency does help build trust. So rather than fighting the way they did in the past, they have, are, they're not going to oppose it, and they haven't opposed to SB 16, whereas the police chiefs all of a sudden are in opposition. So it's a very interesting turnaround. What do you think changed that uh, caused that turnaround? Well, like I said, I think for the police unions, it was really the feeling like, look, we, wa- we don't want to be considered the bad guys in our communities. You know, the, and and many off, most officers are not bad guys in their communities. However, there's always some bad apples. And uh, and so I think with the the kind of just the distrust that emerged in things like watching the um, the different horrible cases last year that were so um, George Floyd and many others, you know, I think our police union said, you know, look, we want to be partners with the community. 
And I think what happened with the police chiefs is, no, we don't want the administrative headache. Don't give us this administrative headache and don't give us fines and penalties if we don't comply. Well, speaking of those fines and penalties again, how big would they have to be to improve compliance or how do you determine how big the fines are? We've specified what we recommend as a timely manner, but of course we do give some judicial discretion because obviously depending on the level of, um, you know, the amount of records requested, the timely issue could be debated. However, our penalty is $1,000 a day. That's what wow. we put in the bill. SB 16 would, if the court levies it, put a $1,000 a day fine on an agency for the, for the days that the court determined they should have. Let's say the court said, look, you should have released those records as of January 1st and today's March 1st. So we're going to fine you, in effect, you know, 30 to 60, day, 60 times uh, 1,000. That's a pretty big fine. Yeah. And that brings to mind for me something that um, comes up sometimes when civil suits are filed against police departments and then police departments or cities have to pay out, um, you know, settlements in in those suits. Um, You know, police departments are public agencies. Forgive my ignorance, but what does a public agency pay a fine to? I mean, doesn't this just move public money from one agency to another? Well, in this case, there would also be attorney's fees so that, so if, if I lost the suit, so I'm, you know, uh, whatever, I'm San Diego PD, for example, and I Mm -hmm. lost the lawsuit, then I, and it was um, Mary Smith who sued me on or challenged this, then Mary Smith would recover attorney's fees. And like I said, if the, if the court ruled it, there would be that levying of the $1,000 of day fine. And the fines often will return to, I don't know if we, it returns to the court. It returns to the court, which is typical for fines. And the court then has some discretion for how they utilize the fines. We might in the process of this, um, you know, we just had to reintroduce the bill, SB 16. So we're at the beginning of the legislative session. There may be some discussion as we get the bill through the committees to define more clearly where that fine would go. I'm speaking with State Senator Nancy Skinner about her police disciplinary record transparency law, SB 1421. You have also proposed that all disciplinary records involving officers who engage in racist or biased behavior should be opened up as well. Do we know that departments do a good job of even internally recording those incidents? So SB 16 adds to the records you now can get, and it allows you to get, it would, if it were successful, if it's passed in the law and signed in the law, it would give you the records on the biased and discriminatory behavior if an officer is engaged in that, and there's a record of it, if they've conducted unlawful arrests and searches, or if they've used excessive or unreasonable force. Now, the good question is, uh, does the agency themselves, if the agency doesn't even view that you have engaged in biased or discriminatory behavior, then yes, it would be a limited record. However, There is also in law in California where every agency must release the um, data around stops, officer stops by race. 
So that would indicate that once, because we require them to, to report that data, they would at least have data on if there's a particular officer, for example, who has a much higher disproportionate uh, number of uh, stops uh, based on, you know, of, of Latinx people or blacks. And uh, so at least there are other things in California statute that would um, help ameliorate any agency that might not be as as responsive to this issue of biased or discriminatory behavior. You also mentioned, I believe, unreasonable force, if they've been found to have used unreasonable force. What if there are different definitions of that? We do give a definition. And uh, it's, um, and the reason we added that is because we know there are circumstances where, for example, a, a person might be beaten uh, by an officer with a baton. And our previous law only included the, um, the use of a weapon. And we realized that actually it is, it is just as legitimate for the public to know about an officer who might have engaged in this kind of very aggressive or unreasonable use of force through something other than the gun. So um, that's why we have modified SB 16 to include a broader um, set of things around, uh, un around unreasonable or excessive force. So do you know off the top of your head what the definition is, or is it very extensive and detailed? Um, it is one of the statutory definitions that exists. So thank goodness there already is in the law. So we reference another code section, but I don't have it right in front of me. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Um, the same thing with wrongful arrests and wrongful searches. Are, is it determined by a law enforcement department whether oh, a search or arrest is? There is existing code for mm -hmm. what is considered an unlawful arrest or an unlawful search. So let's look at where the bill is now, SB 16. I mean, SB 16 followed an earlier effort as it, at expanding SB 1421, which then didn't make it to the Senate floor for a vote. As you say, we're at the beginning of the legislative session now. What happens next? So last year, the bill was called SB 776, and we were extremely successful. It was successful at every committee. And then on the floor of our California State Assembly, it had at least 53 votes, and which is, a, is more than a majority. And it would have, I'm very confident, it would have passed my state Senate. However, we had a time certain deadline for bills at the end of last year's session. And because of COVID, we were, everything was being processed much slower and the whole the whole uh, debate on the floor, because we had some members who were participating remotely, was taking twice as long as usual. So by the time the assembly sent my good bill over and passed it and sent it to my house, we ran out of time to take it up. So mm -hmm. now I'm just, you know, I'm taking the success of last year and I'm, uh, you never can make 100% assumption, but I am optimistic that on the basis of the very good success of that bill last year, that by reintroducing in effect the same bill, but this year it's called SB 16, I am very 
very optimistic and pretty confident it will go through both of my houses and not run into a time problem and uh, then get then we'll be able to put it on the governor's desk. And then when would it go into effect? And if we are, uh, if the governor uh, decides that it's a good bill too, which I hope he does, and he signs it, then it would go into effect January 1st, 2022. Just in our last couple of minutes here, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why this has been such a priority for you. I mean, 1421, as we've said, is, was a landmark, and now you're looking at expanding it even further. Why? Well, when I first came into the legislature in 2008, um, I had heard about, well, first off, I knew that California was an outlier and was one of the few states that basically did not give public access to any information about the conduct of its police officers. Now, compare that if you are a city manager or a city street sweeper or a city librarian. Any person in the public can get a record about anything you do. I mean, it's basically almost unlimited. So our Public Records Act is very broad for every category of public employee, except for police officers. And so I knew that California was an outlier. And while I was in the assembly, Mark Leno, for example, who, um, Senator Mark Leno, he tried to open up some level of records to public access. And I voted yes for that bill. And I voted at least twice on bills to give records access. They were not successful. So when I got elected to the Senate, I thought, you know, this is a very important area. And this is something that really is would be useful for public safety. It's so important for there to be trust. The community that is being served by the police officers needs to trust those police officers. And I just felt like this public access was so important. So I decided, okay, I'll try it. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, um, I thought I might have to try multiple years before I would be successful. But thank goodness, this discussion has been so ongoing. And there were so many other states that have been acting similarly. I think I really benefited from timing. Great. Well, is there anything that you'd like to say about 1421 or SB 16 that I didn't give you a chance to talk about? Um, No, I think we're good. And I think it's just the California public knows it's the right thing to do. And now even our police unions feel it's the right thing to do. And I'm confident that we can get it through and do it. So SB 16, yes. (laughs) Well, Senator Skinner, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. That was State Senator Nancy Skinner. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.